everyone, and welcome to today's discussion on some of the myths and best practices for marketing in the federal sector. This is one of the most misunderstood areas of federal business development, in my opinion. There are a lot of falsehoods out there, or at least old information, about how and why to grab the attention of federal decision makers and influencers. I reached out to Simon Turner, CEO and Senior Consultant with Ocean 5 Strategies, to help me ferret out these issues. Welcome, Simon. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Simon, please tell our audience a little about yourself and Ocean 5 Strategies. Uh, sure. So Ocean 5 is a growth agency, which means that we use a combination of consulting, a marketing execution in order to generate that growth for our clients. Uh, a lot of our work centers around website design development and search engine optimization, specifically for government contractors. Uh, we've been around since 2005, so 16 years, and uh, we're located in Herndon, Virginia, which is just outside of D.C., so we're really in the heart of the government uh, contracting community. So prior to Ocean 5, I worked with large multinationals. I headed up sales and marketing functions and led teams both here in the U.S. and, uh, and in Europe. Thank you, Simon. Let's begin with a few definitions, because I find that many people don't distinguish between marketing and business development. How would you clarify those terms? So, yeah, it's a great question, uh, and we do see those terms used interchangeably. It's not unusual when we start working with a company that we have to get sales, business development, marketing all in the same room and uh, define some of these terms just so that we get people speaking the same language within the company itself. Um, simplistically speaking, though, business development closes deals while marketing generates qualified leads and opportunities. Um, and in terms of what people do on a day-to-day -day basis, so business development tends to be in front of prospects. They're working with contracting offices while marketing is increasing about leveraging online tools. Um, used to be more in terms of events and those sort of things, but leveraging online tools to engage with the same people. So I also think that business development has had quite a rough time of it over the last 12 months, obviously due to COVID, because they expect to go and meet with people and build those personal relationships. And, of course, they've not been able to do that because they're not allowed into the buildings and all of these in-person events have been cancelled. So it's been pretty tough if you're in business development. And what's happened is that the companies that are the winners in this scenario are the people that have pivoted to virtual the fastest. And in my opinion, COVID has simply accelerated the digital transformation that was already in uh, you know, in progress. And the uh, success has really come with companies who have integrated sales and marketing, started to use a lot of these digital tools much more effectively across uh, both departments. So, you know, business development and marketing now really do need to work in lockstep. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I agree. I hear some business development folks belly aching, while others who are pivoting and enjoying the access that virtual marketing and selling has enabled. Simon, one of the first myths I want to discuss with you is that marketing is not necessary in the federal sector because of the competitive bidding process. 
Yeah, I, I hear that a lot, and it, it kind of makes me smile. Um, so generally speaking, I would say that once a contractor is participating in an RFP process, then the rules of engagement become quite clear. Right? They're well-defined, and marketing is not the right tool to close a deal at that particular point in time. So marketing's role in that scenario is to support the business development teams and the other people who are involved in preparing the proposal. So marketing's real role is actually much earlier in the buyer's journey. And it's about building relationships with the buyers and the influencers before they decide on the short list of vendors. And you've also got to bear in mind that the RFP process is only one of seven different ways that the government is doing transactions with uh, uh, government contractors. The things that we do know, right, there's four things that we know absolutely. So number one, we know that federal buyers are researching online because they told us so. Uh, number two, we know that they are looking for specific products and services to satisfy a, a need. So they are actively engaged in trying to spend money and purchase products and services. The third thing is that we also know that there is uh, things like set-asides, and they have to meet all of those criteria for their set-asides. And the fourth thing we know is that you know, there's lots of different types of purchasing vehicles, and RFPs is just one of many. So here's the bottom line. If you want to be successful, make it easy for government buyers to find you and understand that you can actually meet their needs. You're still going to have to close the deal, but at least you've got a ticket to, to the dance at that point. And by ticket to the dance, do you mean that you now have someone in the government who knows what your company does and they are interested in talking to you? Exactly, yeah. So uh, we've actually heard stories of contracting officers who've gone searching for services online and literally bypassing companies because what they want to buy is not listed on their website. And really that is quite sad in many ways. Uh, so the government's proactively looking to place business, and in some cases um, has to meet a set-aside requirements too. And if they can't find you, guess what? That business simply goes somewhere else. And does that mean that your website needs to be more than a generic brochure type of website? And if so, what content is important to grab the attention of the right people in the government? I mean, that's a great observation. Um, you know, you may have heard the phrase that content is king, which personally I believe, believe is quite true. And, and it depends where the buyer is in their own decision-making process. So, so let me give you some examples. And I'm going to use a, a typical sales marketing funnel. So top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel. Here we go. So at the bottom of the funnel, right? So a contracting officer is looking for confirmation that the contractor is a viable fit and they're going to be looking for specific things on a website, for example, capability statements, contracting vehicle, NAICS codes, these basic things that should be easy to find. And what's surprising to me is that there are many companies, and in many cases established companies, are not aware of these core requirements. So we've created a comprehensive list that we use internally, which, by the way, if then you don't know what this list is, then feel free to give me or Chris a call and we'll be happy to talk to you about it. If we then look at the middle of the funnel, so let's think about contracting officers who are trying to decide between solution A and solution B, or they're trying to decide between company A and company B. And what they might be looking for is some specific 
material that, for example, could be how to choose the right artificial solutions provider, right? That might be a question that fundamentally they have in their mind. If you can provide that answer or at least the criteria to help them make the decision, then they're already engaged with you and your brand, and that can all be posted on your website. And then if you think about the top of the funnel, I mean, this is where the buyers are really in their thinking process. And so they've got all sorts of questions. And if you can figure out what are the most common questions that lead people to your product, why wouldn't you answer those questions up front by writing articles or white papers and so on and so forth? And developing that content, you're also, bear in mind, you're starting to build search engine optimization um, credibility as well, which allows your website to get found. So let's take a breath here and say you might look at that list and go, well, that's a be- bewildering maze of content, right? And And you'd be right. So here's the key to the process is, first off, you need to map out the buyer's journey and, and create a content strategy. And in our opinion, every single piece of content that you produce needs to, be, needs to have a very defined purpose and be part of that strategy and naturally lead people to the next logical answer that they, they need to answer in order to ultimately make a purchase decision or to choose you as a, as a viable vendor. You know, it's also part of a content strategy. You've got to think about format. So is the content in the form of written pages? Is it in a form of a webinar or is it a video? What's more likely to gain traction uh, with your particular audience? And when you take that entirety of different types of content, different stages in the buyer's journey, the format of the content, you can see how... If you don't have a plan, you can actually spend a lot of time and money sort of spinning your wheels in that area. So, yes, content is king, and you need a plan to be able to deliver on it. But it's absolutely critical that you get the right content, especially for government contractors. And that's a good point, Simon. There is no single solution that works all the time in every situation. So having the right combination is very important. So the second myth I would like to discuss with you is that federal employees are not on social media. Yeah, that, that's interesting. It, it's one of those depends questions. So I don't think federal employees are fundamentally any different from any other people. They Personally, they use social media as much as anyone else. There are statistics out there. So our, our good friends at Market Connections do run surveys uh, with the federal government agencies. And so I've got some of their statistics here that sort of throw some light on this. And and so here we go. The the top four reasons that government employees are using social media. Number one, stay in touch with friends and family. Sounds familiar, right? So 73% of respondents said stay in touch with friends and family. 53% said that they use social media for news and current events. 41% said networking for work-related purposes. So that's kind of where we now start getting interested, right? Networking for work-related purposes. And then fourth, 30% said that they use uh, social media for researching and finding products, services, and companies. That doesn't necessarily define what type of products, services, and companies. I think from a business perspective, LinkedIn is by far the most widely used platform for government employees and government contractors for business purposes. 
And if people are interested in learning more about LinkedIn specifically, I would look up Mark Amtower. He's involved in the government contracting community and is a great advocate of, uh, of LinkedIn. Oh, I love Mark. He is very knowledgeable, and I would recommend him as well. So, Simon, what is the biggest marketing mistake you see small federal contractors make? Oh, that's a good question. We often hear government contractors tell us that the government does not buy from my website, and therefore it doesn't matter. So, in our humble opinion, backed by research, that is fundamentally incorrect. You know, we've already mentioned this. it is true that the marketing roles in the RFP process is limited, but, um, you know, that's just one of seven different purchasing vehicles used by the federal government. Take, for example, a single source buying decision. If this is a viable opportunity for your company and buyers can't find your products and services online, there is a really good chance that you're not going to be considered. So that's one side of the, the coin. And on the flip side, we're finding a number of government contractors who are really clear about the changing behaviors of the decision makers and influencers in the federal government. Our own research that the Ocean 5 conducted uh, in 2018 identified a trend away from trade shows and in-person meetings purely from a time and cost perspective. And, and obviously, I think that COVID has accelerated that because it, it, it's just there's a moratorium on those activities. Market Connections has added in their two cents with statistics that say 82% of contracting offices use Google as their number one search tool. Or actually, they said they use search engines, not specifically Google, but mostly it's Google, right? And uh, they use companies' websites as their number one source for information when they're researching products and services. So... If you take all of that combined, what I conclude is that the biggest mistake that we see is actually thinking that your website is irrelevant. I have a personal experience that underscores that. The first time that I served on a proposal review board for the National Science Foundation, I was under the impression that as a reviewer, I could only evaluate the proposer based upon what was in the proposal. And there are strict rules about margins, font size, page limitations, attachments, links, and so forth. So it's very limiting. But I was shocked when all the interviewers came together in a room to discuss their evaluations of the proposals that they pulled out their laptops and started Googling the companies and the principals. So they looked at their website, social media, LinkedIn, etc., It was remarkable. Since then, I have become an evangelist for small government contractors to become more marketing savvy. Yeah, I can absolutely believe that. We need to take a break, Simon. I'm talking to Simon Turner, CEO and Senior Consultant with Ocean 5 Strategies about busting some of the myths about marketing in the federal sector. When we come back, we'll talk about best practices. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Your host and the creator of this Growth Masters Federal presentation is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, 
Plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized, data-driven business development playbooks, building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. Utilizing the proprietary Davey Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to learn more about the Davy Growth Framework and how it can be instrumental in helping grow your federal contracting business. We return now to Shirley's conversation with Simon Turner, CEO and a Principal Consultant with Ocean 5 Strategies, as they discuss the truths and myths in marketing strategies and practices in the federal sector. Welcome back. Okay, now let's delve into some best practices. What is the first advice you tend to give your government contracting client, Simon? Well, let's uh, let's pick three website best practices. Let's start there. And, and the three that I would focus in on would be content, which we've touched on already, uh, user experience, and the third one is messaging. So, we kick off with content. There are some very specific items that federal buyers expect to find on a contractor's website. And if you are missing them, you are just making it a little bit harder on the buyer. So, for example, seeing which contract vehicles you are eligible to participate in, who your leadership is, they like to look at the credibility of leadership, and a capability statement. So, it, you know, and, and it also goes without saying that you should list your products and services, obviously. We do have a government contractor checklist if anybody's interested. So just reach out and uh, we'd be happy to share. Simon, why don't we send this to all of our registered attendees and we'll post a link in the podcast description. Great, sure. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. So let's jump on to best practices number two, and I'm, I'm going to talk about user experience. The rule of thumb is that you have five to seven seconds to get a website visitor's attention and let them know that they are in the right place. And if you fail, that could be enough for them to just simply move on to the next company. And in built into that seven to five seconds is not just can they read what's on the page? It's also about the technology behind it. How fast can you get that information onto the page? So the best practice number two is build a website that loads quickly. It's easy to navigate and it gets federal buyers the information they want to see uh, in front of them very quickly. And I agree with that. Some people are shocked that um, you only have five to seven seconds <laughs> to grab their attention. But studies show that people have very short attention spans. <laughs> So, Simon, what about messaging? This is what most people struggle with. So, I think you're right. I mean, messaging is very important, and many government contractors struggle with it, and not just government contractors. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty normal for most companies to have to work hard to figure out their messaging. So, let's use, as an example, a technology company where they provide solutions. For example, cloud-based solutions or artificial intelligence solutions. These are very common in the, uh, in the IT space. And the problem with this is, is twofold. So number one, it doesn't really separate you from the competition. It doesn't give any level of differentiation. And secondarily, from a Google search perspective, 
it's very generic. If you type in cloud-based solutions, imagine how many results you're going to get and, and how many of those are not going to be relevant or how many you have to compete with. So you have to be much more specific in your messaging. And so, you know, if I, if I summarize the, the best practices for government contractors specifically, it breaks down to this. So number one, make sure that you've got all the basic information that the buyers expect to find. Number two, build a site that's easy to navigate very quickly. And three, get the messaging right. And um, a, a point there, if anybody's unclear or unsure about the current status of their website, um, reach out to us. We will absolutely do a free website assessment for you and give you some feedback on where your website stands on these three, uh, these three criteria. I talk to my clients a lot about differentiation. If you are not better than the competition, why would anyone give you a contract? Many times when I ask them what makes them different, they talk about their emphasis on customer service or quality or that they're easy to work with. There's nothing wrong with these, but they're not necessarily differentiators. A differentiator is specialized knowledge, a unique approach, methodology, experience, or in some cases intellectual property. And most established companies have something how do you help companies emphasize these unique value drivers to get their message across to the right people? So, you're, again, you're, you're absolutely right. Differentiation is critical. And, and I consider that to be, you know, a core part of, of messaging. And it's a common thread that has to flow through all of your conversations. But, you know, you have to get down to that essential differentiator and then you can use that repeatedly it's also kind of hard to figure out especially if you are very close to your own company and you know it's, sometimes it's hard to see the wood for the trees right um, now we do provide messaging workshops and the goal there is to help our clients narrow the focus for their messaging down to the most important products and services and to the most important target audience for those products and services. And from there, we help them uh, build a series of core messages that does two things. Number one is demonstrate how they add value to the buyer, and secondarily, shows how they are different from their competitors. And there's a twist here, is that, that um, value and differentiation are rarely about one single thing. There are no silver bullets. It's not like you're going to come up with one sentence, though, and there we go, we're different it's more likely to be a combination of more than one thing. And so you might have heard this term, the three uniques. And it's, it's a way of uh, taking three things, each one of them uh, your competitors may be able to claim, but in combination, it's something that your company has that's very special. You know, if I give you an example, and I'm going to use Ocean 5 as an example. So we specialize in websites and search engine optimization as one. Number two is we focus on government contractors. And number three, we have developed our own process called SWIM, and that stands for Strategy with Implementation and Measurement. So if you take all of those three things in combination, it's going to be fairly difficult for another competitor to go, oh, yeah, we do all of those three things in combination in the same way that we do. And so when we work through our messaging workshops, we're trying to identify those things, those three uniques that 
um, that the government contractor has, that can differentiate them, and then we can articulate it through all the messaging that we do. That's an excellent approach, Simon. A question I get quite often is, how much of my annual budget should I spend on marketing? That's a, that's a good question. It's one that um, I think is really misunderstood. We often find that companies think of marketing only as an expense rather than an investment that they're making and therefore should be expecting return on investment, just like any other investment that you, you make in a company in that regard. So here are the general rules of thumb. For established businesses, you would expect to spend between 5 to 10% of top-line revenue as your marketing budget. Now, before anybody panics, that also includes inside marketing employees as well as external investments in marketing support or agencies, websites, SEO, trade shows, conferences. You know, put a, a big ribbon around all of those things, and that is included in the overall marketing budget. So, say, a $50 million company should expect to have an investment of somewhere between uh, $2.5 million and $5 million per year invested in marketing activities. And then usually I wait for the sticker shock. <laughs> because most government contractors are not expecting to spend anything like that kind of money. Um, and, and there is some logical reason as to why that is true. So historically, government contractors have invested heavily in business development activities. And so I think it's reasonable to take those numbers and cut them in half specifically for a government contractor. So if we restate those numbers, a $50 million government contractor should budget between $1.25 and $2.5 million as an investment in their marketing activities. Again, think about that. I mean, that's a decent amount of money. And if handling marketing is not your thing, then uh, it probably is logical to get some professional advice from a growth agency um, to do two things. Number one, make sure it's invested wisely in the right programs that, that will give you a return. And secondarily, make sure that there are measures in place that really do measure the performance and the results of those programs to make sure that you're actually getting a return on investment. Excellent. And I want to talk about return on investment in a second. But just to clarify, if we extrapolate those numbers, a company with $15 million in annual revenue should spend about $600,000 or 6% of revenue. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the range, um, you know, using this 25 to, to 5%, would be 375 to 750. So 600 is a, a reasonable midpoint. So let's talk about return on investment. Most business owners will want to, to know what is my return, mm -hmm. which you just mentioned. So how is that measured? So return on investment is, I mean, simplistically speaking, it's the amount of money you get in in response to the amount of money you have to spend to get it. So if you look at that in financial terms, uh, that is the gross profit which is generated divided by the cost of the marketing programs that generated it. Um, it interestingly, I, I sometimes get asked about what's the ROI for a website. 
and, and I find that to be an interesting and strange question because uh, it's like asking, well, what's the ROI on this software which you have to invest in in order to fundamentally run your business? And the, the bottom line is that uh, you can't calculate it on that granular level. And so we find that a much better way of thinking about ROI is looking at the total dollars invested in marketing activities divide, divided into the total dollars which were generated from those activities. And you, you have to refine at a, a lower level, but if you look at it on the macro level, you can really um, calculate the return on investment and make sure that you're, you're getting a, you know, a decent bang for your buck. Simon, this has been very illuminating. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to Folks, if you would like to get in touch with Simon, he can be reached at sturner at ocean5strategies.com. Or you can reach out to us here at Skelta Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier, president of Skelta Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now. As we close, I want to thank you for joining us today and encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit our website, that's skeletomarket.com, with the number two in the middle, where you will find our library of podcasts, webcasts, white papers, my blog, and other links and resources. While there, please leave us a comment or suggestion so we can stay focused on what's important to you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.